You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. We just finished the Thanksgiving holiday, a time where we get together with friends and with family and to be grateful for all of life's blessings. Hopefully your time with family was indeed a blessing. Hopefully it was marked with God's peace and that you were an advocate for God's peace in the homes that you were in. And that as you shared your time together, it was a blessing to you and those around you. I pray that your day was filled with grace and peace. My message today is about generosity that leads to gratitude. Generosity that leads to gratitude. You should know that thankfulness always starts with generosity. Am I right? So usually if we say that we're thankful for something, it's we're thankful for something that we have, correct? If you maybe did the little exercise around the uh, dining room table at Thanksgiving and you asked and put everyone on the spot to say, can you say one thing you're thankful for? And probably for some of your teenagers or maybe for some of your family, it was like pulling teeth because they don't like the spotlight being put on them and they had to make up something. So we know it's like to be thankful. But if you notice what people were saying about what they were thankful for, it was usually something they've been given. I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for the roof over my head. I'm thankful for my job. All those things were given to us by someone or by God. Am I right? So thankfulness is, it usually comes out of receiving. Gratefulness comes out of generosity. So instead of thanksgiving, I want you to think of it as giving thanks, one coming before the other. It starts with a culture of gratitude. Now, I grew up in a home where my mom always taught me to say please and thank you, and maybe you did too. Uh, We've taught our kids to say please and thank you. Uh, I know that's missing in today's culture, but a a culture of gratitude starts within the home. It starts with us being able to communicate it to the next generation. I know for me, uh, anytime anyone's done anything for me, I'm always sending a card or giving a phone call or sending a text because I truly appreciate what people have done for me because they didn't have to. Let's be honest. People don't have to be nice to us. People don't have to be gracious to us. They don't have to be generous to us. But when people are gracious and generous, I want to make sure that I validate that and appreciate that. One of the great things about being thankful is that it it, uh, ensures that that will continue. So if you've ever been generous to somebody or gracious to someone, and they haven't said thank you to you, you've kind of felt like a little turned out or maybe even a little offended by that. Am I right? It's like it would be at least nice to hear the words thank you or see some uh, effort of appreciation from that person. And when we don't receive it, sometimes we're like, uh, it doesn't sit well with us. So gratitude and thankfulness ensures that that continues. Every uh, act of kindness should be appreciated but not expected. It is something, uh, it's the difference between entitlement and appreciation. We live in a world today where people feel like they deserve to get something and almost expect to get something, often without a thank you or anything in return. But an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of appreciation, ensures that we are grateful for everything we've received. If you are thankful, then someone probably gave to you, someone blessed or encouraged you, and you were grateful for it. 
Gratitude starts with the generosity of another. So if, you, if your parents took good care of you and gave you a chance at a better life, you are grateful for that, or at least I hope you would be. Uh, if you were in high school and you received a scholarship because the endowment from an individual orga- organization that gave charitably so that you could receive that scholarship, you should be grateful. Or maybe if a, a boss took a chance on you and gave you your first job, which later became your career, you have them to thank for that. You were grateful because you had a need and someone provided that need. Or you had something that you wanted and someone gave it to you without expecting anything in return. We should be a type of people that are giving people because God is the original giver. It is his nature to give. God created all things and gave them life. In fact, everything in this room was made from something that God created. It didn't just come out of nowhere. Everything that we have literally comes from God. God created us. He gave us life. He put breath into our lungs so that we can live and move and have our being. And then beyond that, he gave us great salvation. He gave us salvation through the cross of Christ and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. More so than that, he gives us daily mercy, daily grace, daily forgiveness, and he gives us the privilege of speaking to him in prayer, and he gives us answers to prayer. If you're a recipient of God's grace and mercy today, then say amen. We are recipients of his grace and mercy. I'm sure there's more than a few stories in this room, how God turned your life around. And for that fact alone, he's worthy of our thanks, our praise, and our gratitude. Simply put, uh, grateful people tend to be generous people. Now, before I go any further, unless you think that this is just a message about money, I want to let you know that gratitude extends and generosity is more than just money. People sometimes just go to church and they say, well, the church only wants your money. And believe me, there's been enough in the news and in the world we live in to validate that, and in some cases, that might be true. But can I challenge you with the idea that God doesn't want your money? He wants your heart. Think about the one thing that our whole life tends to revolve around. Uh, the, the sum total of all of our ambition, sum total of all of our stresses, our worries, and our cares, Uh, the thing that we work for that takes the most of our time, the thing that we tend to dwell on and think about, that is money, right? So if we give that area of our life over to God, then he has every part of our life covered. God doesn't need our money. He just needs our heart. And where our treasure is, our heart will be also. Grateful people are generous people. They give because God gave to them. They give back because they remember what it was like to be in need. They give back because they're thankful about what God has done in their life. Grateful people show kindness without an expectation of anything in return. Now, think about that for a minute, because think about the world we live in, right? Uh, You often hear this expression, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Or if someone does you a favor, they'll say what? Now you owe me one, right? And so there's this whole idea of this quid pro quo in the world we live in. Like, if you do something for me, like, I've got to do something for you because we've got to pay each other back. I have friends of mine that uh, will never let me just do something nice for them. They'll always have something else for me later on. 
Like if I pay for lunch for them one week, guess who's got it next time? They got it next time and they insist on getting it next time. Or if I've given them something or done a favor for them, guess what? They're going to try and make sure that they give me something or do something for me. Why? Because human nature says, I don't want to owe anything to anybody. I want to make sure that, like, I'm showing gratitude as well and that, like, that way no one can say, like, they did that for my benefit and I owe them anything. But Jesus encouraged his his, uh, followers to think differently. He encouraged them actually to give without the expectation of return. Take a look at Luke 6, 32 through 35. It kind of flips the script a little bit when you think about it, that Jesus is talking about generosity and gratitude and how we show love to people. He says in verse 32 of Luke 6, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you did good only to those who do good to you, What credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those to whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners and receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Wow, that's a wild thought when you think about it. He's like, give to someone without the expectation of getting anything back. And that's very different from, like, our worldly point of view. It's different from our kind of logical, practical sort of being. We're like, well, I don't want to give away to anybody because, like, if I give to that person, that person's a bad investment. Listen, when it comes to salvation, we were all a bad investment, okay? There's really nothing good in us, but God gave anyway. But he's saying, don't be like the rest of the world. It's easy to love people that love you, but to love people that don't, love you, to love people that can't do anything for you in return, that's a genuine heart before the Lord. Take a look at Luke 14, 12 through 14. It says a similar thing in verse 12. He said also to them who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But then when you give a feast, instead invite the poor the maimed, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus is challenging him. He's saying, like, listen, don't put on elaborate spread and invite all your friends with the hope that you'll be invited back. You know, sometimes people, you know, a young couple might get married and they, they invite the, the wealthy people they know to the wedding reception because they're like, well, hopefully they'll get some good gifts out of that, right? Young couple doesn't have anything. They're thinking that way. But to give without the expectation of anything in return, when doing that, it's out of a heart that is generous and kind and gracious. And Jesus is saying that the reward you will receive will be in heaven, and it will be credit to your righteousness. Now, what does that mean? It means, in other words, God will look upon it as a right and good thing that you do for others, and he will reward that accordingly. Now, I don't know about you, but the reward of heaven to me, is much more important than any reward I would receive here on earth. I want to be recognized in heaven, even if I'm not recognized here on earth. I'd rather be known in heaven and forgotten on the earth because God's grace is more important. His reward is more important to me. So when we do that, we do it uh, for his reward, and we do it for the people that can't pay us back in any way. If we're only looking to be generous and kind and gracious towards those that can give something in return, 
There is no sincerity in that. Interesting enough, you ever think about this? And I was doing, thinking about this the other day when I was preparing for this. And the question came to mind, who are the most generous people in the world? Okay? Like, I really wanted to find out. I didn't just want to simply assume. You know, we are the most generous people in the world. No, I needed to find out. And I actually was on this website called Philanthropy Roundtable. And basically, it's a website that examines trends in giving to charities. And here's what they had to say about who are the most generous people in the world. I think you'll find it interesting. Quote, it is easy to think of philanthropy as something that's done by very wealthy or big foundations or prosperous uh, companies. Actually, of the $358 billion that Americans gave to charity in 2014, only 14% came from grants, 5% from corporations, but the rest, 81%, came from individuals. And among the individual givers in the U.S., while the wealthy do their part, as you'll see later on, the vast predominance of offerings come from average citizens with moderate income. Six out of ten U.S. households donate to charity in a given year, and the typical household's annual gifts add up to between two and three thousand dollars. Goes on to say, Americans voluntarily donate about seven times as much as continental Europeans. Even our cousins, the Canadians, give to charity at a substantially lower rate and at half the total volume of the American household. There are many reasons for this American distinction. Foremost is the fact that ours is the most religious nation in the industrial world. Religion motivates giving more than any other factor, end quote. So who are the most generous people in the world? They are Americans, because Americans, and particularly people of religious background, whether it be Jewish, or whether it be Muslim, or whether it be Christian, they give seven times more than any other country on the planet. Most of the givers, too, are not the wealthy, but people of average income who have religious background. You can even go on to further and say, say and the interesting study, too, if you look at a map, red states versus blue states, it's the red states that are more generous than the blue states. So when people say, you say, well, what do Christians do in the world? What good do they do? You can mention that the next time someone complains about what good do Christians do in the world. They are the ones that give the most to charity. But as most churches and organizations have realized, unfortunately, it's the older generation only that has been the most generous to charities. People under 40 are less likely to give. It's an interesting uh, problem that charities are facing. The younger generation has not followed the generosity of the older generation, mostly due to a distrust of churches and organizations. But it begs an interesting question. If we are the most generous people in the world, if we're the most generous nation in the world, what would happen if the generosity stopped? Think about that for a moment. Now, I want you to think about all the ministries that we support, all the ministries we support. This means that uh, the cycle of giving and gratitude would end. It means that the work, the good work that people do across the world would not get done. It means the people that are the most in need would not get help. Uh, we think of places like, for example, uh, the Call of Malo. Orphanages would go unstaffed. 
crisis pregnancy centers would close. The missionaries that we support would have to come home because they support their families based on the giving and generosity of us who are here. So those people would have to come home. And there have been missionaries that I've known who were not able to raise their budget, and they did have to come back to the States until they raised their budget so they could go back onto the field again. What would happen if the generosity stopped? Think of the churches that are planted by ministries and organizations across the world. Those churches, without the support of American missionaries and their ministries, would probably close. Shoeboxes would not go to children in need. The gospel would not be preached in foreign soil. All these things would happen just because generosity stopped. Paul wrote the Canadian, uh, the Canadian church. Wow. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. No. <laughs> Canadian church. Paul wrote the Corinthian church about the need for generosity. And it was an offering that they received annually for the persecuted saints and the poor in Jerusalem. Now, Paul is writing this to the Corinthian church. Now, the Corinthian church is not made up of Jewish people. It's mostly made up of Gentile people. Now, Paul brings this need to them and says, listen, uh, annually we let you know that we're going to receive an offering and it's going to help the poor and the persecuted. Basically, what it does to help the people in Jerusalem is that the persecuted saints lose their jobs They don't have a way to eat. They don't have a way to get by. And so this offering would provide for their needs. It also takes care of the widow and the orphan. If you read in Acts chapter 6, you see about the the calling of the first deacons. And there's an offering that helps the widow and the orphan among them that cannot provide for themselves. And so Paul says, you know, we're coming to Corinth, and we would love for you to participate in this offering. Now, the Corinthian church could say, hey, they're Jews And we're Gentiles. What do we have to do with them there in Jerusalem? That's not our problem. That's their problem. But what Paul is trying to illustrate with this uh, idea of giving is that he's saying, listen, everything that you have, this church was established because the ministry of the gospel went out first from Jerusalem into Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. If it didn't start in Jerusalem, you wouldn't have the faith that you have today. If Christ did not come to his people and died outside of Jerusalem then rose from the dead and commissioned his 12 apostles to go preach the word, there would be no church. There would be no gospel that spread to the entire world. There would be no gospel of the kingdom. If, the, if it weren't for Jesus meeting Paul on the road to Damascus as he was leaving Jerusalem, and converted him to Christianity, they wouldn't even be here to debate about whether or not they should give to the offering that's received annually for the church in Jerusalem. So he's saying, you know, spiritually, we owe so much to what happened in Jerusalem that it is good, right, and fitting for us to give. Because we've received spiritually more abundantly than we could ever uh, ask or even imagine. We should be grateful for that and in turn show our gratitude in some tangible way. This was an opportunity, Paul said, for them to bless those who have blessed them and a chance to respond to the real need. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. 
Perhaps you've heard this verse before. Maybe you've heard it quoted during an offering time. And he says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you might abound in every good work. As it is written, he is freely distributed freely. He has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Notice that Paul says, he says, listen, um, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. In other words, he gives a metaphor from uh, farming. He says, if, if you're a farmer and you want a big crop to come out of your, uh, your uh, planting, then you need to sow a lot of seed. This is not so much about how, how much you give, but how often you do it, in a way. And so he's saying, you know, whoever sows a little bit of seed will yield a little bit of seed. But whoever sows a lot of seed has a better chance at a return. And he also tells them that they should give willingly and cheerfully, not under pressure. Listen, I grew up in church. I grew up AG, okay? And believe me, I've heard a lot of things behind a pulpit during offering time that I wish I hadn't heard, okay? Like pressure to give, you know? One... uh, Silly and terrible expression that I hated is that they say, you know, give until it hurts and then give until it feels better again. And I was just like, that's, I just hate things like that. I hate manipulation. I hate um, the kind of the give and take trying to get money out of people. Listen, I want to tell you something right now. This church is not about your money, okay? It really isn't. And uh, hopefully we get a couple of hands <laughs> in here. I hope that's the case. But it's not about your money, okay? We, we don't, we're not concerned with that. And, and believe me, I never want you to feel pressured to give, okay? I never want you to feel like we're always bringing it up. I've also been part of churches where they've done building programs, and they got in, in over their heads. And so every, you know, offering time was sometimes a a lengthy sermon about like how much you need to give because we're in dire straits and we bit off more than we could chew and you need to do your part. I don't want it to be like that, okay? There's never a situation where I want you to feel like I'm pushing you to give. But you should give because you want to give, not because you, you feel like you're obligated to give. You should give because you desire to give and you feel moved upon by the Holy Spirit to give, not because Pastor Dan expects you to give, or not because you're feeling manipulated or guilted into giving. Are we clear on that? Do you understand where my heart is coming from? God does not need our money. He has provided miraculously time and time again. And if you're in need of God's provision in your life, let me encourage you to fast and pray, and God will provide for you as he has time and time again. So trust him to take care of you. I I will challenge you with this. Even in your own household, you don't have to have a ministry to see God provide for you. You can trust God fast and pray for your financial situation, and I will tell you, I have story after story from my own life where God's come through unexpectedly because he loves us and he wants to take care of us because we are his children. So no, it's not about that. So Paul is saying, listen, we have this need. And it's our responsibility to respond to a need. And so he brings it before the Corinthian church. 
And let's take a look at verses 10 and 11. He says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Sometimes people don't give because they don't know if they'll be able to do it. They will say, I don't have the means to do it, so I don't think I can afford it. And that can be especially true if God lays something on your heart to do for someone or something, and you're nervous about whether or not you can afford that thing that God laid on your heart to do. Like sometimes you'll make a faith promise, or sometimes there'll be an offering, and God will put a number in your head and your heart, and you'll kind of try and ignore that because there's no way you came up with that thought yourself, right? Because there's too many zeros, you know what I'm talking about? You don't? Okay, maybe you should, but anyway... There are times that God gives you, tells you to give something, and it's a scary number. You know why it's a scary number? It's because you're like, I don't have that. I don't even have that now, you know. But you should understand this. The, the answer to that question, it shouldn't be, how am I going to do this? But rather, God, how are you going to do this? Because if he inspired it, he makes it possible, okay? I, I can't emphasize this enough. It's like what God orders he pays for. What he ordains, he provides. God is not someone who will go out to lunch with you and stiff you and leave you with the bill. That's not the way God operates. God will always take care of what he ordains and what he asks us to do. So if he's asking us to do something, there's a good possibility that he's going to do it. And you know what? Your faith will be built because of it. Giving is the one area where you can exercise your faith and see God provide. He makes a promise here that God who provides seed for the farmer and bread for food will increase your harvest of righteousness. In other words, God will make it possible for you to give and it will be recognized as an act of righteousness for his kingdom. And that you will have all that you need at all times, having all you need. If you rewind in this verse just a few verses back, you see the word all appears Several times, doesn't it? At all times, having all that you need, right? The word all is in there. That doesn't mean some, right? It means all. All still means all, right? Wow, you guys are here but not here. What does all mean? All means everything, right? So if he's going to take care of it all, he's going to take care of it all. God will supply all that you need. Not always having everything you want, but God promises he will supply everything you need. When it comes to giving, God is looking for us to be conduits of his blessing. He wants to be a pipeline by which generosity flows. When we give and are faithful to give, God knows he can count on us. So he makes the provision, uh, blessing of provision flow more regularly through you. Think of it kind of like this way, investing. Have you ever invested? Okay, anybody here has ever invested? If you've invested, you take a little bit of money, right, that you have, your savings, and you put it in a retirement account, or you put it in a stock brokerage account and you're giving that money, you say, I'm taking this money and I'm putting it and investing it in this stock or this mutual fund or this bond or this program with the hope that there will be a return on that investment, right? And when the investment does well, what do you do? You go, that's a good investment. I'm going to give more into that investment so that I see more growth because of it. So growth is the indicator of that it's a good investment or not, okay? Okay. 
And so God looks at it that way too, but his, the way that he looks at it is differently. He says, can I give to you, and will you be faithful to give it to others? And will what you give to others show a harvest of righteousness? Will it show a harvest of blessing? Will people be blessed by it and my kingdom work carried out? God will always provide for his kingdom work. Always. Always. But the question is, are you a good investment? So if God says to you, hey, I want to be able to use you to bless somebody else. And that doesn't even necessarily mean you have to give to missions, although you should, okay? And I'm not talking about taking your tithe and giving it to missions. Missions is an offering that's separate from tithing, okay? All right, just want to make that clarification. But if God says to you, like, listen, I want you to bless your neighbor. I want you to, to give them you know, $100 because they really need it right now. And that person was praying that God would provide for them that $100 that they needed to pay that bill. And you go, well, I don't know. I don't have it. That person's prayer goes unanswered. But, 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 if you are faithful to it and you're obedient to it and you give that person the 100 that God laid on your heart to do and you're like, I don't have it, but here, you know, here. You can let go now. No, it's Here. You know, and you give it, and that's an answer to someone's prayer. You know what you did? You just built their faith, and they would say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. I was just praying about this the other day, and you, became, you came here with this. I know God hears me. I know God answers prayer. And you know what? Your faith is then built. And you go, you know what? That was hard, but I did it, and I'm grateful for it. Guess what you're going to do next time God speaks to you? You're going to say, yes, Lord, here we go. Yes, Lord, I'm going to do that. And when God sees that you're willing to do it the first time, it comes through you. It's going to continue to come through you. More things will pass through your hands for the blessing of others than you'll be able to hold on to. When we talk about the pressed down, shaken together, this is not like, oh, I'm just going to bundle this up and take it home. When it's pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it's running over so that others can feel the overflow. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? God wants to be able to bless you to be a blessing to others. And when we do that, our faith is increased. But does God see you as a good investment? That's a real telling question, isn't it? He's like, listen, I've given you a job. I've blessed you with health. I've given you my salvation. I've answered your prayers. And he says, all I want you to do is just this one little thing. And if we can't do that, are we really a good investment for his kingdom? He pours into those who pour out to others. God will continue to pour into people who are a pipeline of blessing for other people. Let's take a verse, look at verses 12 through 15. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul encourages the Corinthians to respond to this opportunity to be generous because it will result in providing for the needs of the saints. It will result in the thanksgiving of others. It will result in praise to God because when you are faithful in that area, it becomes an answer to prayer. And it will result in them rejoicing at the grace that is upon you and praying for you. 
Can you imagine that? That people are praying for you. Our missionaries are praying for us because they're so grateful for their, the provision. Those charities that we benefit, they are always thanking God for us. And there are times where I'll receive messages, emails, texts, that we're praying for living hope. We're praying for your church that it would be blessed, that God would bless them for their kindness towards us. When we bless others, we are blessed as well. People sometimes think of giving as a net deficit, something they'll give up and they will never get back. But in God's economy, it's a net increase because God credits our generosity to our righteousness in heaven. We are rewarded in heaven when we see Christ. So how do we live this out? How do we live out generosity? Like I know you're going to say, Pastor Dan, you're saying you need to give more money. No, no, actually, no. Generosity is just so much more than money. Generosity is, is so much more than just giving what I have in my hand or what I have in my pockets or what I have in my bank account. But rather, there are four ways that we can, four expressions of our giving, four ways that we can give. And I'm not talking about the slide where it says four ways to give. I know you've been conditioned to think that, but I'm not going to throw that slide up there. That's what you need to give in these ways. No. But I want you to think about this. Write these down because these are very simple ways we can be giving and generous. Number one, give of your prayer. You know, prayer costs nothing, but we do nothing with it. Of of the saints of God, when we, when you know, we walk with God, we walk with Christ. But how often are we praying? Here's another challenging thought: How often are we praying for someone other than us? It's a real challenging thought, isn't it? But the only thing that prayer will cost you is obedience and time. It'll cost you time. It's like, uh, I don't have much money. Can you pray? I can pray. Do you? No. (laughs) Why not? It takes time to pray. Sometimes we can't focus in prayer. Sometimes we're distracted. We can't pray. But everyone in this building can be generous in the act of prayer. And there's probably something, nothing that will be more beneficial to anyone else in this congregation and for those that we're praying for than prayer. Prayer will make a massive difference in someone's life. By the way, I want to call, I give this as a plug to prayer, okay, on Wednesday of this week before Greg Hubbard comes. On Wednesday morning, I will be here bright and early, and I'm going to pray for the services that Greg's going to speak in. Because I truly believe that God's going to move greatly and powerfully in those services. I am calling the men of this church to join me. Men, it's not just the women's job to pray. You know, men sometimes be less, are less spiritual than women. Like, oh, the women pray. They do that. No, no. The men are supposed to pray. It was the men who were says the elders of the, at the gate of the city. Those were the people that sat the elders. They were the ones that determined and made judgments concerning things. They were the people that were considered spiritual leaders. I call for the men in this church to join me in prayer. If you can't be here to pray in the sanctuary, I encourage you to be praying during that time in the morning. But let's pray and see what God will do. Be generous with prayer. Secondly, our partnership with the gospel. What does this mean? This means that we support those who do God's work. And I'm not just talking about financial support. That's one thing. But I'm talking about supporting what they do, believing in what they do, encouraging them in what they do. 
We have to be people that support the work of those that are doing God's work. Those uh, 23 different ministries that we have on the, uh, the wall outside the, the hallway, we have to believe in what they're doing. Believe what, what they're doing is important and meaningful. If you were to come to church too, it's important that you believe in the leadership of our, our volunteer leaders and you support them. And it's important that you believe in your pastor and your pastor's wife and you support what we are doing too. It, you can't come to church and be like, eh, I don't like that. Or I don't like them. Or I don't believe in any of that. But I come because, you know, I have friends here. You've got to believe in and support the vision and the mission of the ministry that you're a part of. The third thing is our resources. I mentioned this earlier. We've already talked about it. Everything that we have comes from God. You know, even the mattress you sleep on, even the percal sheets that you cover up with, those were made from materials that God created. So literally everything we have comes from God, and everything belongs to him. And all he asks of us is a small portion of that. So we give of our resources. The last thing, and perhaps the most importantly, is to give of ourselves. This is not a substitute for actual giving, by the way. Some people say, well, I tithe of my time. I understand that, but like, that's not what the tithe actually is, okay? A tithe is always financial, but our time and talent should be something we do all the time, okay? So giving of ourselves means that we say, you know, I want to serve God in whatever way I can, whether it means that I, I serve him in this church, I serve outside this church. What are the things that you're good at? What are the things that are a benefit to other people? You know you can use that for God in this church and outside of this church. Serve him and serve others. Can you sing? Can you play an instrument? Can you bless somebody? Are you a good listener? Are you someone that loves to pray? You can use that in this church to be a blessing to someone else. Paul says in another part of Scripture that they gave uh, not only of their resources but of themselves supporting the ministry. And so sometimes we've got to give of ourselves. So this morning, church, I want to be a church that's known for being generous and creating thanks to other people. And if you're a thankful and grateful person, you will in turn be generous to others because you've received so much. Listen, I remember the days of, you know, canned salted pork and government cheese. I remember days going to the food bank because my family was really poor. I am incredibly grateful for all God's done in my life. I'm incredibly thankful for those days even because those days reminded me of how hard things were. And maybe you've gone through a season where things were hard for you. God brought you through that season, didn't he? And you're in a better place. Now, there's a tendency, and this happened actually with the Depression-era generation, which is why they can't throw things away, is because they were so used to, like, things you know, being taken from them, that they would hide money in the curtains and they would stuff their shoes with newspaper and, like, they never throw anything away. You're like, why don't they throw anything away? It's because they, they never knew when it was, would all be taken away. Now, that hasn't changed. This, the economy could go bad tomorrow. It's bad now, actually. And that all could be taken away from us. But are we trusting God in something that will never be taken away? He will always provide for us, and he will always see us through. So we need to have that heart that says, Lord, whatever you want for me, that's what I'll do. And it's not about our money. It's about our heart. 
God wants us to be a generous person, generous people that in, in, out of gratitude give to someone else and then receive the blessings well. And even if we don't receive anything in return, we say, because you wanted it, Lord, I'll do it. And that's a challenging thing for us today, especially in a time where we're kind of like, everybody's kind of got their own little silos and everybody's kind of circling the wagons and how do I protect what's mine? And the Lord's provision is there for all of us to take care of us in our time of need. I want to be a generous person. I want to see God move. I want to see God uh, answer prayers for you. I get so excited when I see God answer your prayers, when I see God provide for you. I don't get jealous. I am rejoicing because I know that's the same God I serve. And if he'll do that for you, he'll do that for me too, and he'll take care of you. Can I encourage you in that today? Can we just close our eyes for just a moment? And I don't know where you're at. And listen, remember, please, this is not about your money. It's about do you trust God in every area of your life? Our, our trust for God should be proportionate to everything that we uh, give to him and everything that we hold loosely. I've learned that 2023, I've said to other ministers, I said 2023 to me is the year of the open hand because nothing belongs to me. I can't control anything, but everything I have came from God. Everything belongs to him. Everything that I have is his. And so whether he gives it to me or takes it away, I've learned to not get upset about that. I said, God, that's yours. If you want to give it to me, I'm, I'm ready to receive. But if you want to take it from me too, I'm okay with that as well because you will take care of me. Can I challenge you today? God will take care of you, both now and forevermore. He took care of you when you had no money. He took care of you when you were first married and you and your husband had no money. He took care of you when you had lots of money and then you lost your job and then you had to go on unemployment and then you were stressed and frustrated. God took care of you then too. God will take care of you now. But will you trust him in this very important area of your life to be someone who is generous not only with their money but with their time, with their life and give it over to the Lord? Perhaps now we can just ask God to help us with that. Whether you're here in this room or you're watching online, let's pray and ask God to increase our capacity, to increase our ability to receive and give today. Can we do that? Let's just do that right now. So God, we thank you. Thank you for all the ways you've taken care of us in the past. Thank you for the answers to prayer that we've seen. And, and for some of us, it may be that we haven't seen an answer to prayer like that in a while. Would you build our faith once more? for things that are impossible. God, help us not to be afraid when you ask us to give or to do something that's outside of our comfort zone, but help us to trust you and believe you that you'll take care of us and you'll provide. Lord, help us to partner with you and partner with your gospel work. And Lord, to recognize that life is not separate from church, but for the Christian, life and God and faith and finances all are together and we're going to walk it out with you and to see you move so that when you do come through, when others are blessed through us, we will feel good about it, but our faith will be increased. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the faith to bless others. Lord, I pray that you would provide for needs, Lord God. You said to your servant David, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. David knew that that was true of you. And so may it be true of us today. We could say, you will never leave us 
forsake us or leave us alone and without. You will always take care of us. So I pray that you would do that in us. Help us to be generous with our time, with our efforts, with our service, with our resources, because all that we have is from you. It all belongs to you, and it all goes back to you. So we pray that you'd help us with that. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.